from Malachi 2 and 3. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to see you all on a nice, cold, snowy morning. Anybody going to the game afterwards? Okay. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the ability to gather again with your people. Father, thank you for this morning where we come together to celebrate the advent of Christ, who is the full meaning of Christmas. Father, we pray that you would enlighten us and encourage us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I was driving very carefully here trying to stay on the road, I passed several churches with, you know, the nativity scenes outside. And uh, there's a church just right down there on 55th, and they've got a really nice one. It almost looks like they have really live animals. They're so big, but they're not live. And of course, there's, you know, the little, the little Jesus there. And so that got me thinking about, like, what, is, what does your Jesus look like? So when you picture Jesus around Christmas time, what, what is your, the Jesus that you're picturing look like? Now, of course, this question has been debated for, say, 2,000 years by wonderful theologians. Some are famous, some maybe less so. Two of my favorite theologians, though, that have recently debated this in kind of a public forum are, of course, Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr., who very famously debated this in a scene in Talladega Nights around the dinner table. And you know, the debate went something like this. You know, of course, Ricky Bobby, famous race car driver, uh, he wants to pray to, you know, little baby Jesus. And over and over and over again, he keeps praying to little baby Jesus in your little diaper. And finally, this debate breaks out. And uh, there's a debate about whether or not Jesus should be prayed to like that. And of course, you know, Cal Naughton Jr. says, well, you know, that's not the Jesus that I want to pray to. The Jesus that I like to pray to, you know, he's got on a tuxedo t-shirt that says, I'm formal, but I'm here to party. <laughs> so you guys can check that out later. So there's, there's this question about like, who is Jesus? What does he look like? But maybe the better question for us on Advent is, what did he come to do? That's the real question. 
And so this morning, what I want to try to give us is a little bit of a maybe reset on who Jesus is and what it is that he came to do. So as we've been going through this sermon series on the mission of God, we've been working our way from Genesis through this passage we find ourselves with this morning, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And what we've been looking at is this kind of unfolding picture of God's plan of redemption, of the unfolding of his purposes in the world, which as we have said over and over again, that the mission of God is all about God's mission to bring his people into his place under his rule. And Malachi helps us to kind of understand how does this finally end? Where is this story going next? And so for us, we look at Malachi 2,000 years after Christ. But the people who received this were receiving it about 400 years before Christ. Malachi is, is the last voice of the Old Testament prophets. Malachi is speaking specifically to a group of people who have returned from the exile. They have finished rebuilding the temple and the city walls who, as we talked about last week, have come to the realization that this city that they have returned to, this temple that they have rebuilt, is a far cry from what they were hoping for. The restoration that they received in coming back to the promised land is somehow incomplete. Something's lacking. The most visible thing that would have been lacking, especially to those who were older, who remembered the first temple, was the fact that the presence of the Lord had never returned. And the temple, as they began to work on it and laid the foundation, and they realized the differences between these two temples was so stark that as they were joyful, they were also weeping at the distance of lacking that they were looking upon. And so Malachi writes to this group of people who are waiting. And he's trying to paint them a picture of not only who they're waiting for, but what they're waiting for. And so to get there, we have to do a little bit of detective work, at least at first. And so if you have your bulletins or your Bibles, you want to look at them, and we're going to try to do a, we're going to do a little work, kind of unpack this passage before we kind of move through it and really kind of get at the meat of it. And so the question is, who is Malachi saying that they're waiting for? Because that's what he says. He says, we, I know that you're waiting for someone. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare, prepare the, the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the question is, who is he talking about? And is he talking about one person, or is he maybe talking about two people? And so let's see if we can follow along, maybe do a little work and figure this out. And so Malachi helps us out, actually. Malachi begins to kind of unlock this passage. And so the first question is, who is the messenger who's going to be sent before him, before this wonderful day. And if you were to read on in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, 
It says in verse 4, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there's Malachi's hint that before this day happens, the Lord is going to send Elijah the prophet. So where else could we learn about this? Well, fortunately, Jesus answers this question for us in Matthew 11. When people come to him and say, who is John the Baptist? And his answer is, this is whom of whom he it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Ah, that sounds familiar. That sounds like Malachi. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So now Jesus has told you that the person that you were waiting for, the person that Malachi said needed to come before the great and awesome day of the Lord was Elijah, who was John the Baptist. So now we have part of it. But if you notice, this isn't the only person that they're waiting for. So it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And now we have to ask ourselves this question. Who's that talking about? And clearly, with just a little tiny bit of work, we realize that the Lord is talking about himself, that he is coming. That the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, declares the Lord of hosts. He will sit as the, purif the refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi. The Lord whom you seek, it says, will come into his temple. And so we have two people being talked about here. We have John the Baptist who comes and prepares the way of the Lord. And we have Jesus who comes into the temple. So remember again, the temple, the, the glory of the Lord never returns to the temple until Luke chapter 2, when Jesus' parents take him to the temple. And each time Jesus returns to the temple, it is the glory of the Lord filling the temple, that this is what the people were waiting for. That this is when this occurs, when the advent of Christ comes. And so now we know who we're waiting for, and now we know kind of when they were supposed to expect this. And again, we have a benefit they don't have. We're able to look back on a historical event and say, oh yeah, we see that this happened. But the meat of this passage is about what they were waiting for. And that's where this passage helps us. So here's what they were waiting for, what they were supposed to expect. What this passage tells us is they were supposed to expect the judgment of the Messiah. It says it right here in 2.17. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. That doesn't sound fun. That the message of the prophets is, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. 
that the first aspect of this judgment comes because the people of God have decided that it was okay to redefine God's truth. That we should expect judgment because we have redefined God's truth. We say, God says this is wrong. And we say, well, I mean, not so much. I mean, maybe back then that was wrong, but it's not wrong now. I mean, come on, seriously, we're, we're far more enlightened now. I mean, we certainly know more culturally. Those people were cultural Neanderthals. God could only move them so far so fast, you know. And that's not something, of course, we struggle with in the 21st century. This is only a first century problem. The idea that we get to redefine what God says is right and redefine what God says is wrong. Now, maybe all of you have just in your head thought about a particular cultural topic today that we have as a society redefined and say what God says is wrong is right. Maybe you all have one thing in your mind, one hot topic. Am I right? Are we all kind of in the same thought pattern here about what this cultural topic is? See, the nice thing about that is and that gets us off the hook, doesn't it? Because that's somebody else who needs to be judged, not us. And see, the message of Malachi is that we should expect the judgment of God because we have redefined God's truth. That we think it's okay to play postmodern word games with the, with the truth of the gospel to redefine what we want. But we like it a lot, and it's a lot easier when we can point to somebody else who's doing it, and not us. And that brings us to the other reason why we're supposed to expect judgment. It says, You've also worried the Lord by saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Now, why would that be bad? I mean, sometimes I pray and I say, where is the God of justice? These people over here need justice. These people over here are being exploited. These people over here need help. When is somebody going to give them justice? And that's wonderful. We, we want to see justice, don't we? But again, we especially want to see justice when somebody else is on the receiving end of the judgment. When we ask, where is the God of judgment? We're never thinking to ourselves, he's going to show up and judge me. We think, where is the God of judgment who's going to show up and judge somebody else? And so here's the difficult part. So to put it in Christmas terms, the question that we're supposed to be asking ourselves is are we on the naughty list or are we on the nice list? Everybody wants to be on the nice list. But what this passage is supposed to do for you 
is force you to say, you know what? Maybe I'm not on the list I thought I was on. Maybe I'm not on the nice list. And he gives you a list. He says, then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will bear swift witness against the sorcerers. Whew! Well, I'm off that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a sorcerer. So far, so good. I, I think I'm in good shape here. Against the adulterers. All right, I'm, I think I'm good still there. Against those who swear falsely. Uh-oh. Um, that's going to be a problem for me, maybe. Against those who oppress the hired worker for his wages. The business owners are looking at this page going, wait, what a second, wait. Are you saying that the way that I treat the people that work for me has something to do about what list I'm on? Can't I pay them as little as possible? Barely subsistence wages, isn't that okay? Mm. Those who oppress the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the immigrant, those who do not fear me. And if you're like me, and you try to walk through this list, you realize, uh-oh, the judgment of the Lord when it comes is coming against me. That's why Malachi is able to ask this question. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? And the answer that you're supposed to give is not this. Ooh, ooh, me, me, I can totally do that. No, the answer that you're supposed to give is, uh, not me. I can't stand on the day of his appearing. I'm going to receive his judgment. And that's scary. But here's the good news of the gospel. See, that's, all, that's not all Malachi is saying. So yes, we're supposed to expect the judgment of God. But the good news is that we're also called to embrace the redemption that comes from the Messiah. That's this message. Hear, hear what he says. For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So the beauty of, of this sermon series we've been going through is when we come to Christ, all these Old Testament prophecies come crashing together in the person of Jesus Christ. The language of what the people were expecting had been given to them over and over again. It says in Isaiah chapter 1, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Doesn't that sound familiar? This is the unending theme of what God wants for his people. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Later, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 43, but you have burdened me with your sins. Does that sound familiar? It's the same language Malachi is picking up. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember not your sins. This is the good news that they were expecting. And it comes in Jesus. 
who Malachi says is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And so we have these two kind of oddly juxtaposed pictures of who Jesus is. That he's like a refiner's fire. You could kind of picture this person as blast-furnished Jesus. Right? The Jesus who comes in, in all of his power and all of his magnificence in the incarnation, he is fully God. And we know through the Old Testament that even reaching out to touch the ark, you died instantly. You couldn't even touch the mountain of the Lord or you would die because God is so holy that sin cannot stand in his presence. And so this picture of a refiner's fire, of someone who burns away the impurity of sin, is frightening and it is scary because God is that holy and God is that majestic. And this is the picture that we're given of Christ, that he is like a refiner's fire. And I'm a little terrified of that Jesus. That doesn't sound like little baby Jesus in your little diaper. And that doesn't sound like a Jesus in a, you know, tuxedo t-shirt who says, I'm kind of formal, but I like to party. That sounds like a Jesus who could wipe me out. That sounds like a Jesus who I can't stand in front of. But the idea of the refiner's fire is that it is our impurity that gets burned away, that the gold is left. That's the picture that we're given. And that's a good picture of us going through the refining process to be purified. But then we're given this other wonderful picture of Jesus as a fuller soap. And these, these two are really kind of odd that they go together because the refiner's fire is, it's so hot that the closer you get, the more it burns away. But think about what a fuller does. So a fuller is somebody who would take soap and would take dirty laundry and by hand would wash it and scrub it until it was clean. That this picture of Jesus is the picture of an intimate and personal Jesus who cleanses us, who makes us whiter than snow. Every part of us, including that part that we're so ashamed that we don't want anybody to know about it. Jesus knows about it. Jesus wants to clean it. Jesus wants to make us clean. So maybe you've gone on, on vacation. You maybe stayed with some friend's house, maybe for a weekend or a week, and they say, hey, uh, you know, why don't you give me your laundry? I'll go ahead and wash that for you. And we're like, oh, that would be great, and we're always happy to do that. But if you're like me, there's always certain garments you want to hold out, <laughs> Right? I don't want to be handing over my dirty underwear to anybody to wash because that's just embarrassing. That's my underwear. Want anybody else seeing it? This is the picture I want to give you of Jesus. If, if you can grant it to me. Jesus wants to clean you completely. Jesus is the Messiah who says, give me everything, including your dirty underwear. 
including the parts of you that are so embarrassing that you don't want anybody to see. I'm here to clean that. I'm here to clean that for you. That this is who I am. This is what I came to do to make you whiter than snow. To clean you completely, intimately, and personally. Because I love you. And why does Malachi say this is supposed to happen, that this needs to happen? So that we can worship. It says, I've come to purify the sons of Levi. And you say, oh, well, that's just for the priests. But Peter tells us that we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is about us. This is about us being cleaned and purified so we can offer right worship. Worship that happens in this room on Sunday morning. But because we believe that all of life is worship, it's worship that happens in our homes, in the midst of our families, in our interactions with our neighbors, in the way that we work, that this refining and this purifying and this being cleansed allows all of our life to be purified and accepted by God as worship and that we need and that's what Christ came to do to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to offer himself as a sacrifice that guarantees that we will pass through the refiner's fire safely, that we will be purified and cleansed by Christ. That the good news of the gospel is that Advent represents the fact that God in his great mercy offered a covenant gift to everyone who is on the naughty list. So as Buddy the Elf might say, there is room for everybody on the nice list. There is. The question is, how do you get there? You get there not through working and doing and trying to be better. You get there because Jesus Christ places you there. It's what it says in Colossians that he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He did that, not you. That Jesus Christ comes in all of his glory as a refiner's fire and as a fuller's soap to make us clean before the Lord so that we can worship him in spirit and truth, not just during Christmas, but always. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that your gospel has been displayed before us for millennia. Father, I am mindful that there are many here who have heard the gospel story over and over and over again. And I am also mindful that there may be people here this morning, Lord, who are hearing it for the first time. And so, Father, I pray that those who are coming to this understanding of what it means to trust in Christ, to receive forgiveness of sins, and to be reconciled to God through Christ, might put their faith in your Son this morning, even for the very first time and that they might make that known to someone around them. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, which Malachi holds out for us. In Christ's name, amen.
Join with me, if you will, in our confession of sin this morning. It's a confession of sin that reminds us that the indictment that we are under is real. And the mercy we have been given is just as real. Follow along and repeat the bold. Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us for thinking and acting as though we deserve your mercy and that you are obligated to prosper the work of our hands on our terms. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us for the many ways that we, as a culture, as a church, as individuals, twist your words so that we can redefine as good what you have declared evil. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us for oppressing the widow and the orphan and the hired worker and thrusting aside the sojourner and the immigrant. Forgive us also for not working to end their oppression. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, forgive us for remaining in the embarrassment and shame of our sin rather than embracing you as our personal and intimate God who is willing and able to cleanse us from all sin. Let's confess silently. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Hear the good news of the gospel from Isaiah this morning. The prophet Isaiah writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns, who proclaim the good news of God. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Thanks be to God.